All right, uh, Ephesians 5, Psalm 90. Um, let me explain. Again, we, we finished the series going through First and Second Kings, and it, to me, it was, it was something I needed, just seeing Jesus and this idea of all kingdoms will fade away, his kingdom will remain. We're starting Colossians next week, so like, what's today? Um, today, I just want to take this time to talk to you about, about time. Um, it's funny, this has really been on my mind for a while now. It's, I feel like every conversation I've been having, and maybe, maybe I'm just in that place in my life, you know? I, I recently turned 35, okay? For some of you, you're like, you're such a baby. For some of you, you're like, you're so old. Um, but it's funny, maybe it's a midlife crisis. I have no idea, but I'm just thinking a lot about time. I've been thinking a lot about what am I doing with my time? How do I use my time? How do I make the most of time? Why does it seem that every conversation I'm having, like with everyone, they're like, I cannot believe that was five years ago. Oh my gosh, so much has changed. I feel so old now. It's just so funny to see like every conversation I'm having with someone, it's, it just seems to be like life is flying by. And a part of me is like, yeah, I want to explore that. And I want to look at what does the scripture say about time? And how do we make the most of this short time we have on earth? I mean, we have, such a brief, we, are, we have such a brief moment in human history, and it's like, a, it's like this little flash in a pan. And how do we make the most of it? How do we redeem it? How do we say, I don't want to waste it anymore? You know, I've been guilty of just letting the things dictate my time. Rather than me saying, here's how I'm going to use it, just as things come at me, or as a new show comes on, or new, social media, or all these things just consume our time. And, you know, for me, I just want to like step back and be like, all right, Lord, speak to us about this idea of time. Like, how do we not just let another year or two or five or decade or two just fly by? How do we redeem the time? And so part of me has just been praying, like, Lord, would you, for this, you know, message, do something in our hearts where you have people who take every moment, every minute captive that say, no, we're not going to just let things like happen to us. Um, we're not going to let time happen to us. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna show it how to, how to use it. So I want to look at what the scriptures say in Ephesians and Psalm 90. To me, are powerful passages about how we should approach time. You guys ready? Can we talk about time with our time today? Um, it's Ephesians 5. Let's just read this passage, and then we'll pray and look at this more in depth. But Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 15, here's what Paul writes. He says, Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will, the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So one more time, I'm going to read it to you, uh, the New King James Version, what I grew up with. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Um, the title today is simply Redeem the Time. Redeem the Time. So why don't we just pray and uh, just ask the Lord to direct our time today. Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity we get to worship, to slow down, just to put you in and on your, your rightful place on the throne, 
Jesus, I ask that um, this would not just be some random thoughts or message, but God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do some deep work in our hearts today. That as Paul describes that we, to redeem the time that we would do that, we'd understand what that means, what that looks like, that we'd take captive time again. Lord, I just ask that, um, Jesus, you'd help us. We just don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to waste our time. And so, Lord, I just ask that you do something in our hearts and in our minds that only you can do now. We just want to surrender this time to you, Jesus. And we just ask that you'd be glorified in your precious name. Amen. All right, I got to give you a little preface. I got to give you a little warning. I might be up all my feels uh, today on this message of time, just just to warn you, okay? Because thinking about time, thinking about my family, thinking about how just life is flying by, it just, it blows me away. Uh, You might know this, you might not know this. I met my wife, Kimber, when I was 15 and she was 16. And it's crazy because we were talking about this, but I watched her turn 17. She watched me turn 16. Uh, Yes, high school sweethearts, that mindset, but... uh, Man, I've watched her celebrate now 20 birthdays. 20 birthdays. That just sounds so weird. I think there's a, yeah, you probably see a picture of us from when we were in high school. I don't know. Do you like her blonde hair? Give her a hard time about that, please. Um, there's a little high school Kimber and Josiah. But um, man, when I look at that, when I think about that, and I'm like, man, we were just babies when we met. I mean, we were babies when we got married, for goodness sake. But we were just babies when we met. And now here we are in the stage of life where we have three babies. And like, that, might, that just freaks me out. Like We have now an eight-year-old, four-year-old, and one-year-old. It's mind-blowing. If you guys, some of you were with us when we started the church, like we started meeting in the fall of 2017 and, and here at the school in January 2018, and we had our little Micah boy, Micah, my firstborn. He had his little mullet kind of a thing going on. And I don't know why I just had to throw pictures up here because this is just, we have a little Micah running around. I'm like, see this little chunky kid with a mullet running around. It's so much fun. And I was this long, slender, like eight-year-old boy. And I'm like, well, who are you? You know, it's weird. I'll say this. Being a parent, and you're like, just how you're being so, I know, I'm being weird. But being a parent is bizarre, man. It's weird. Because here's the thing. You don't feel like you're changing, right? As a parent, I'm like, I'm not aging, but why is this little clock aging? Like, it's so weird. Like, honestly, when I look at my kids, they're just a clock. I'm like, so you're, you're getting older, but I'm not. That's so weird. You know, that, that's kind of what you think. But you see them aging, you see them getting older, and you're like, oh my gosh, is, am I, is that happening to me? And it's just the weirdest concept right now that we're walking through. And uh, I almost posted something on my 35th birthday, but I'm like, no, this just sounds too emo. I couldn't do it. But just the thought of like, I'm 35. And again, for some of you, like, that's so young. But I'm like, does that mean I'm on the back nine of my life? Like I played the first nine and I was like, all right, second half. I'm like, Is that what, that, what does that mean? And you're like, no, just that. Here's the thing. There is such a fragile, I'm obviously not even guaranteed another 35 or more. We're not guaranteed anything. And just the reality of time has been really sinking in. And, you know, we've had summer with our kids at home. And every parent right now, you are so happy. It's back to school. <laughs> and I remember being a kid watching those commercials, like, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And parents are, like, shopping at Walmart, and they're so happy. And I'm like, why are parents so happy to get rid of their kids? Now I'm that parent. I'm like, go back to school. Um, there's just been too much free time. I and mean, there's too much free time. It just, ah, it's not, nothing good comes from that. And so it's weird, you know. Looking at my life, I'm like, man, I've been working full time. I've been working 40 hours a week since I was, like, 18. And I'm like, so half my life now, I've been working 40 hours a week. And it's so weird how, like, when you're a kid, you, like, had so much free time. And you had so much, of, like, I, you want to do something tonight? Let's do something. You can do anything. And now I'm like, I would kill for some free time, right? For just some alone time. And it's just so weird how this, this, my, my relationship to time has changed so much throughout the years. My perspective of it. You know, my father-in-law would always say this quote. He's like, time is like a toilet paper roll. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, that's kind of true. He always say that. And 
it's one of those things where like my relationship to time is just so bizarre. And I'm going to invite you to share that experience with me. Um, and here's, here's the idea. Um, cause this is bizarre. Uh, Huffington post put out this article and there's many, you know, places it's, it's really hard to nail down a 24 hour period or a, a 365 day year period, because obviously depending on where you live or what job you have, it, it might vary if you're in America versus South America versus Europe versus Africa, like it could change, but here's the idea. It's, it's like looking at the American kind of schedule. Here's how we use a year. And there's a graph, but I'm gonna go to like the bullet point version. So if you want to put the bullet points, uh, in your life, and this is like if you live to be about 78 to like 80 in your life, you're going to sleep for about 26 years. Seven years, they say, are just trying to fall asleep, which I love that. Or just being in bed, okay? So you're in bed. If you live to be like 78 to 80, you're in bed for about 33 years. Um, maybe some of you more, and maybe some of you less. I don't know. But that's the idea. You're at time at work, and you're like, no, it has to be more, but 13 years. And it's looking at like Again, 24 hours in a day, so 13 years. So think about, you know, one 24-hour period is like three work days. You spend about thir 13 years at work. Unpaid overtime, I don't know why, I thought this was funny. This is just someone who's bitter who like put this in the article. Unpaid overtime, uh, at least one year, so you're at work for another year, maybe on top of that. Here's one, it's, it's defined differently for different websites and different places, but uh, TV, it's about 11 years, or screen time, 11 years and four months of your life. We'll be on the screen. Social media, and it's changed so much, but it seems to be now on average under 40 specifically uh, that you'll be on social media for at least three years of your life. <laughs> Whether That could be so many different versions of social media, but three years just on just something that's toxic. Uh, next, eating. You spent about four years, six months eating. I think, that, I think that's good use of time. That's a great use of time. I'm, I'm for that one. Uh, holidays, they look at this and just time off. Holidays meaning not like vacation as well, uh, three years and one month. Exercising one year and four months. Uh, and you're like, why even exercise? Because that's how you probably get to 78 um, to begin with. But one year, four months, romance or times like dating or meeting someone, getting to know each other. Uh, they say one year, one month. School, and that, you might think this is not true, but it seems to be true for most. Uh, school seems about a year. Uh, and you're like, no, I've been eight years in school. But again, it's just looking at time in school, like your actual time in the classroom, about a year. Uh, socializing, a year and three days. For some of you, it's way longer. Um, getting ready. I thought this was great. Women, 136 days. Men, 46 days of your life. I love that. That article ought to be really specific. There are differences. Uh, but 136 days versus 46 days of getting ready. And then they called the rest. The rest was eight years about. This can involve your commute, maybe cleaning your house, um, seeing like out shows like out in public, whatever, celebrating, having a family. So part of the family time is under this eight years, telling stories, just like talking, telling stories and just more miscellaneous. And I'm like, man, that eight years is kind of important. Like that's like your family time, your meaningful time. And it's like, oh yeah, it's just called the rest, <laughs> the rest. Like that seems more significant. Here's another point they brought up for this like last couple of years. It seems as if in the last couple of years, uh, we have spent about 1300 hours on social media a year. So think about like that in one year. So that on average might be three hours a day like 1,300 hours on social media a year. The reason why I want us to see this and get the big picture of it is, is this really how it's supposed to be? Like, I want us to look at those details. And you're like, is this what God intended? Is this how he wants us to use our time? There's some things we can't change, like sleeping, like eating. There's some things like, okay, but the rest or just work or like some of these details, like, is, is this what the Lord has in mind for me, for you? Like, what does he intend? Like, we have this brief little time here on earth. 
And it's crazy because all of you are different. I remember thinking in my, when I was 20, I'm like, 35 is so old. And now I'm like, 35? I'm like, 20. We were at FAU yesterday, and it's just funny, like, talking to some students. I'm like, oh, yeah, our church, there's a lot of people our age. And I'm like, did I just say our age? I'm like, I'm 35. And I'm like, oh, I can't say our age, can I? It's just so weird. So you might be in a place, too, where you're like, no, just like, speak for yourself. I'm in my 70s, 80s, 90s, wherever you might be. We have a brief time here on this planet. And the idea is, like, how do we actually use it the way God intended? Even if you feel like I've, I've already let so much time pass, okay? You have today. And how do we buy it back? How do we redeem it? So there's a few points I want to look at with you guys today, and we're just going to dissect this. Here's the points, and just forgive me for the alliteration, but the preciousness of time, the priorities of time, the power of time, and the passing of time. All right, so just bear, just bear with me. Number one is this, the preciousness of time. I think you know this, but time is so precious, so valuable. If you would turn to Psalm 90, I want us to see the big picture of what I'm getting at here. But there is such a weight to time. It is the most valuable commodity we have. There is nothing. I mean, essentially, you're working so you can have time with your family. So you have time to do things you want. We give away our time to have a little bit of time. Time is so precious. And Moses wrote Psalm 90. Now, um, I want to put this out in case you're new or newer to the church. That's okay. Welcome. So glad you're here. We're going through, like when you go through the Psalms, most of them are written by King David. Most of them. About 73 Psalms written by David. Then you have a few other people like Asaph. Moses wrote a Psalm, and this is the earliest Psalm ever written. I just think that's fascinating. Here's a guy later in life, maybe he's around 80 when he wrote this, but this is the first and earliest Psalm ever written. And he's basically looking at life and he's looking at time and he's asking these questions like, is there any meaning to this? If we have such, in light of having such a brief time here on earth, what is the point? You know, a lot of philosophers throughout the years have kind of argued what is the point of life. And, and here's what a few say, and I just want to put this up here. You guys might know Freud. He said, the aim of all life is death. Welcome to the exchange where we're very encouraging. Um, a French philosopher, Michel de, I'm going to say it wrong, Montenegro, whatever. He says that to study philosophy, to study philosophy is to learn to die. Let us have nothing so much in mind as death. He's basically saying you have to keep this in the forefront of your mind. There's no point of understanding philosophy if you don't understand death. You need to understand death is what he said. Another writer, Samuel Johnson, said uh, the whole of life is but keeping away the thoughts of death. So he's on the other end of He's like, no, no, just don't even think about it. I hate thinking. He was, this was a guy, actually, Samuel Johnson, if you read up about him, he was just obsessed with the thought of death. And it just overwhelmed him. And sometimes it maybe caused him to miss out on life. And what is the point of this? And why, why are we here? And it, okay, if there is a reason, how do we make the most of this time? You know, you might, uh, I think his name was William Randolph Hearst. Have you guys ever heard of like Hearst Castle in California? Like a massive home, like mansion. It's a guy who owned like a multimedia uh, business. I think he died in like 1951. He's worth like 200 plus million dollars when he died. So he's like a modern day multi-billionaire. And uh, he built this massive castle and he was just over a lot of news media outlets. And so um, William Randolph Hearst, it was just known in his biography, no one, no one could be in his presence and talk about death. Like you could not even say the word death in his presence. Biographers actually wrote about that. He was such a weird guy with death. Like he had a massive house and you can even like still see it today. Massive garden. He had paint, like he had the landscapers come in and paint leaves green until he was out of town. And then they like, you know, cut it down and let it die. He was just did not, he did not want to see death. It freaked him out. Here's Moses. 
And if you can understand what he's writing about, he's saying, here's how you can face life if you understand death and the fragility of life. So let's just read Psalm 90 verse 1. Moses, the first Psalm ever written. Uh, he says, Lord, Psalm 90 verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past or as a watch in the night. Moses begins the psalm by basically saying, um, God, we're incredibly fragile, we're dust, and you're eternal. There is this man's fragility versus God's eternality. And he's comparing and contrasting, and when he breaks down the psalm, he's going, we are so fragile, we're just like grass. You just can cut, like we're here today, we're gone tomorrow. He's basically saying, Lord, we're so fragile, and yet you're the one thing that has remained. You're the one eternal thing. You're the immutable thing the thing that does not change. And he's acknowledging God, even though we come and go, generations come and go, you remain the same forever. And there's something incredibly encouraging about that. And the beauty of this Psalm, when he calls us dust, he's basically connecting dust to deity. We're dust. We're just dust. You're deity, God. You're eternal. And he's saying, how do we, how do we actually understand this idea that we're dust, God's eternal, but God has actually created us to be eternal, that we also will live on forever either with him or away from him. There's this idea of dust and deity. And what I want to point out about the psalm, and just, just understand, can I give you the context of the psalm? I think this is very important. Because um, when you read any, any passage, you want to know the context. Moses wrote this. I want you to think about this. Moses is a guy who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he led them into the wilderness. And ultimately, the goal was to lead them into the promised land. Um, he didn't get a chance to necessarily do that, but the goal was to lead them to the promised land that God had set before them. If you guys remember, Moses and the children of Israel, they're like overlooking the promised land. They're at Kadesh Barnea. They're staring at it. If you guys remember, they sent out 12 spies. The spies go into this land and they go, wow, this land's incredible. There's grapes, there's, there's figs, everything we want or need. The land is flowing with milk and honey. That was like the phrase, right? But the, the 12 spies come back and 10 say, we cannot do this. The land is beautiful. It's amazing, but there's giants in the land. We're nothing. We're just like grasshoppers in their eyes. They're going to squash us. They're going to kill us. We cannot take this land. There's two spies, if you guys remember Joshua and Caleb, right? Who said, no, no, no. God has said this is our land and this is our land. But the 10 spies says, no, no, we can't enter. And the 10 spies and since won the people over and the people are like, yes, let's not go into the promised land. Let's go back to Egypt. We don't want to. And basically because of their lack of faith, because of their lack of belief in God, God said, this is your land. Take it. They said, no, 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 we can't. They weren't able to enter the promised land. So if you know the story, they end up what? They end up wandering the wilderness for 40 years. Now, Numbers 14 talks about this. Basically, the people who entered the promised land were 20 and under, all right? Or if you're 20 and over, you couldn't enter. If you're under 20, you could enter. So I understand this. Joshua and Caleb got to enter the promised land, the only two from that time. They got to enter the promised land. Everyone else, for the 40 years, they wandered the wilderness until they died. When you think about that, it's like a giant funeral procession in the wilderness just waiting to die. Moses didn't enter the promised land. So Moses is writing about the, how fragile life is. He's basically saying, Lord, we're fragile. We're going to come and go. You're going to be here forever. He will read this verse. He says, so teach us to number our days. I want you to think about this. If you're 30 years old and you're like, oh, wow, I, I don't make the cut. I'm not going to enter the promised land. You actually knew how long you were going to live for. I'm going to die at 70. I'm going to wander the wilderness 40 years. I have a short time here. And if you hear that, and you go, that must be terrible. If you're 21 and you're cut off at 61, 
If you're 50, you die at 90, whatever. Like the idea is though, is like you got 40 years left, you know that, that's all you have left. It's basically this like march of death around the wilderness. You're missing out on all that God has for you and you're basically just wandering until you die. And you say, that is so awful. But that is how so many people live still to this day. We still live just kind of wandering through life, not following Jesus or his commandments or obeying him. So ideas like you're missing out on what God has. God has the promised land for you, but there's like this funeral procession or this march of death. And Moses is looking at this going, okay, Lord, how can we still, how can we still be wise with our short time here? 40 years. How can we still be wise? How can we still live the way you want us to live? What is it you have in mind? Read, if you would, Psalm 90. We're going to skip to the next section, but, but verse 9. Psalm 90, verse 9. Here's what he says. Psalm 90, verse 9. He says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sign, like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even if by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's basically looking and saying, we are so fragile. Our life is like a sigh. That's life. So quick. Just a sigh. We're barely here. And he goes, so God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I want you to get this verse just ingrained deeply into your heart and mind. Psalm 90 verse 12. Um, here's the goal. He says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We want to live wisely. So teach us to make the most of these days that we have. It's funny. Like we number, what do we do? We count our years, right? Like we're like, oh, you're, you're 30, whatever. Like we say how old you are by year. No one counts the days. I was going to do the math, but I don't know. Like how many days are we, right? No one counts the days. Like, oh, congratulations. You're like 10,000 days old today. We don't do that, but that'd be, that's kind of smart. He's like, teach us to number our days so we can have a heart of wisdom. We want to be wise. The goal is to be wise. How do we not waste this life? Listen, do not waste this life. Okay, how? God, teach me to number my days. Teach me to view today with such a mindset of this is fragile. This is beautiful. Life is a gift. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. How do I make the most of what you've given me? This time you've given me, I'm on borrowed time. Okay, Lord, how do I take this time you've given me? And I say, what do you want me to do this time? You gave me this time. Like, God, you gave me this breath, the breath of my lungs. What do you want me to do with this time? The time you've given me, God, the time I have. And we're not even guaranteed another day. So today's the day. I don't have tomorrow guaranteed. So today, what is it you want me to do with my time? How can I use my time? God, help me keep in the forefront of my mind that my days are numbered, that I'm not guaranteed anything. And so how do I actually live for what matters? If I could like impart anything, I hope from like whatever age you are, young, old, just impart to this idea of like you and I have such a brief time, make the most of this time that you have. Like redeem it. We're gonna get to that, but redeem it. Like say, God, what is it you want to do with my short little time here? This will change the trajectory of your life, I so believe. If you actually give your time back to God and say, God, the time you gave me is from you. What do you want me to do with it? Teach me, God, to number my days. Are you guys with me? I think this is so important. Okay. When I was like 12 or 13 years old, um, so my, my grandma, my dad's mom passed away. I, I can't remember. I think I was around 12 or 13 years old. Um, the story goes, I never really met my grandma. Uh, my grandma came to my house, I think, when I was like a month or two old. My parents in the back, so maybe they can confirm. Um, my grandma came to the house. She was like a smoker. The stories go, like, she'd put me to sleep by like, <sighs> and like blowing the baby's face. I'll just pass out. Great grandparenting right there. Um, but that's like, that's my relationship to my grandma. I never knew my grandma. My grandma passed away when I was like 12, 13, and uh, my dad, I think, went to Arkansas. 
Is this story fitting? Okay. Um, I never met her. I didn't really know her. Um, to go to her funeral. And I remember this so clear. My dad got back, and uh, he drove my brother and sister and I to school. I'm about 12 or 13 years old. And I just remember, you know, it was one of those moments, you know, I'm like 12, where I'm like, okay, dad's mom just passed away. I didn't know her, but I'm sure that means something to him. And he's like, hey, kids, can I talk to you for a second? And he pulled out, you know, as a dad, not, it's not wrap, like a gift. It's a little clock, all right? And he pulled out this little plastic casing, you know, not wrapped or anything. It's just so dad-like. And he pulled out this little clock, all right? Uh, he pulled out this clock, a little plastic clock. And he said, hey, I want to give you guys a clock. And he said, um, the most valuable thing you have in life is your time. And I didn't have as much time as I wanted with my mom. And he's like, make the most of this time. Your life is going to fly by. And this is the clock. This is the clock. 23 years later, brought it with me, have a little, little place in my house. This little cheap old clock. But it stuck with me so profoundly at 12 of like, yes. Like, I can't even to say that out loud 23 years later of hold on to this cheap little plastic clock. But it's one of those teaching moments that I so remember for me of like, yeah, wait, what is life? Like, what is this? Like, is this some cruel game? We just wake up to eternity or wake up to like life here on earth. We start going to school. We're told to get a job. We do that, make some money. Then maybe we retire and die. Like, huh? I remember just like so hit me of like, what am I doing? Like, what is this about? I love what one author said. He said, um, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. Let me put it this way. Um, Nathan the prophet said to King David, he said this. He says, for we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Water spilled on the ground. It's just, that's it. You can't regather back in to the vessel. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is time, as you know, is precious. It's, inc- it's insanely valuable. I literally, there's nothing more valuable than time. Because in a sense, like, you can make more money, right? You can make more whatever, but you, you can't make up time. You just can't. What we've had it, when it's spent, it's gone. And so there's this heaviness and this reality of, okay, Lord, you've given me this time on earth. I don't even know what that is. And how do I just make the most of it? How do I actually use it the way you've intended? This is what James says. James 4, you might know this verse. He says, uh, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. I love that. This question, what is your life? What is life? Like, that's such a good philosophical question. What is your life? And he goes, it's just a vapor, like a puff of smoke. Just here today, gone tomorrow. Okay. So, Josiah, thank you for this really encouraging message today. (laughs) So, but the idea is, how do we use this puff of smoke? How do we use this vapor? What do we do with it? How do we do things that have eternal value and weight to it? Things that will go on way after you and I breathe our last breath. And I want to get to that in just a moment, but here's, here's my main thought from this. Jesus gives us some insight on what to do with time. Jesus says, you want to know what to do with your time? I'm just going to put the verse up here. It's a verse you probably know well. It's Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Invest in heavenly things. Invest in things that will last way more past today. 
We all want to know what's the invest, best investment I can use with my money or with this or that. But what is the best investment you can use with your time? He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that can never rot, that can never fade. Live for the kingdom. Invest in things that actually matter. We will come and go. There's been so many wealthy people, so many poor people that have come and gone before us. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. What will our story be? Did we store up here or did we store up in heaven? Time is precious. Amen? Value it. Redeem it. And we'll look at that soon. But number two is this, the priorities of time. I won't spend as much time on this, um, but priorities of time. Let me just make this really clear. There's so many good books, by the way, on time management. I don't know if you've ever taken a time management class or course or gone online and like, how can I, you know, learn time management better? Um, This is a biblical idea, but I don't want to just kind of get, I don't want to do time management. Here's what Colossians chapter four, verse five says. Colossians four, five says, make the best possible use of your time. All right. Same thing in Ephesians, very similar. Make the best possible use of your time. Okay. That's a scriptural command. How do I make the best possible use of my time? I have a couple simple thoughts. All right, here's the first one is this. Um, prioritize prayer, or let me just say it this way before you check out even that word. Just prioritize the presence of God. So here's the idea. How do I actually make the best use of my time? Prioritize the presence of God. Seek his face. God said to David, seek my face. And David's, and God, David's response was, your face, Lord, I will seek. The best way you could use your time on earth is seek the, the, the presence of God. Prayer. Do that Jesus, okay, think about Jesus really quick. Um, lived 33 years on earth. We don't really know too much about his first 30. We don't. And it is fascinating. You go, this guy, whether, okay, let's just even say, Josiah, I'm not a Christian though, and I don't know about this Jesus thing. Okay, just look at it objectively. Jesus lived 33 years. He, we definitely know he died on a cross. Okay, this idea of Jesus. He had three years of ministry, three years of public ministry, three years of people knowing him. And in these three years, he radically changed the world. I mean, we're still talking about him to this day. We have a view of him. Muslims have a view of him. Mormons, everyone has a view of Jesus. Atheists have a view of Jesus. But you cannot deny the fact that in his three years of life, he radically changed the world. We're still talking about his messages today. Now, I believe it's more than messages. I believe he's the son of God who loves you and died for your sins and rose again from the grave. And if you believe in him, you'll be saved. I believe that. But I'm saying this guy, if you just look at this objectively, in three years, he radically changed the world. So how did he use his time? How did this guy, Jesus, use his time? So here we are still talking about him. A couple thoughts, a couple verses. We'll put the verse up here quickly. Mark 1 says this. In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary, uh, solitary place, and there he prayed. So early in the morning, he prays. Luke 5, it says, Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6, in those days, G- Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Matthew 14, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. Obviously, Jesus made it a priority to pray early in the morning, late at night, all night. The idea is like, whether it's morning or night, throughout the day, or he, he would purposely break away and say, I got to seek the presence of God. I find that fascinating. Here's a guy who radically changed, obviously, everything, changed the world, changed everything as we know it. And he made, priority, uh, he made prayer a priority. This is so important because if you say, well, I don't have time to seek God. Okay, you, have, you make time for what you value. That's just the bottom line. I don't have time to do this. Okay, I get it. You will always make time for what you value. That's just the bottom line. If you value something, you will make time for it. There's no doubt. I love what Martin Luther said about this because if your response is, I'm so busy, Martin Luther wrote, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I love that. I have so much to do today. I better better be prayed up. I have so much to do. I better prioritize this. Listen, make seeking the presence of God. It's a priority. Number two simply is this, um, prioritize people. Like you think about things that live on forever. You think about things that matter. And the Lord's obviously shaping this in my heart of like, okay, my kids, you guys, like the idea of like, okay, 
prioritizing the things that actually matter. We, we try to do things all the time that maybe will give us some results on some things or some tasks, but in reality, on your deathbed, no one's talking about those little tasks you accomplished. Like on your deathbed, it's like, what did you do? Did people go, they made me feel so loved. They brought so much joy into the room. They always pointed me back to Jesus. Like the idea is prioritize people. I think this is so profound. In John 21, I love this. This is what it says about Jesus at the end of his life. Listen to this, John 21, it says, maybe you've heard this verse, it's profound. He says, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. What a cool verse. Man, if we could even just document everything, there's just not enough time. He was prioritizing people so often, loving on people so often, helping people so often. We, there's, not even, there's not even enough room for us to write about this. You think about for Jesus prioritizing the presence of God and prioritizing the people of God. So if you're like, what do I do with my life? Prioritize the presence of God and people of God. I want to show this. I wasn't actually read to you a quote, but I actually think it's way more profound. It's one minute. You guys might know a guy named Billy Graham he was interviewed and basically said, Billy, if you could do something differently about your life, what would you do? And I just want you to hear his response. So uh, just check out this video. It's like 50 seconds. If you were to do things over again, would you do it differently? Yes. I would study more. I would pray more. Travel less. Take less speaking engagements. I took too many of them in too many places around the world. If I had to do over again, I'd spend more time in meditation and prayer and just telling the Lord how much I love him and adore him. And I'm looking forward to the time we're going to spend together for eternity. A lot of times people are asked that questions. If you could do life over, would you do anything differently? And you, I, I get so frustrated. You almost hear this arrogant answer. No. Every decision I made made me who I am. You just hear like an arrogance. Like, nope. I love everything I did, man. It made me who I am today. Here's a guy who had a pretty amazing life. And it's like, yeah, I would do, th I would do things differently. I love that. I, I, would just, I, would, I did too much. I, I would travel less, take less speaking engagements. I, I just did too much. I would spend more time in the presence of God just telling him how much I love him. You think here's a guy who died at 99 years old, lived a pretty solid life. Maybe we should learn a thing or two from him, right? Maybe we should hear him out. Maybe saying, you know what, I'm about to face eternity, so I'd rather just spend some time, like, not have it be like this awkward, hey, I know I haven't seen you in forever. <laughs> but this idea of, like, I've been praying to you, talking to you, enjoying you, and, like, that conversation we had on earth, I'm having it with you right now here in heaven. Just kind of entered into that conversation into heaven with you. I love that. We have to hear that, the priorities of time. Time is precious, right? We need to prioritize it though. Presence of God, people of God. I think that's so key. Number three is this, um, the power of time. Just the power of time. Our text today, and I just want to look at it one time, our text in Ephesians 5.16, it says what? Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The power of time. Hear me out. The guy who wrote this, Paul, was a pretty awful dude, right? At one point, Paul was the guy who basically murdered Christians, persecuted Christians. He says, I want to end this Jesus movement thing. You know, it's funny because I love when you see people who are just so anti-Jesus become lovers of Jesus. They're the coolest people to talk to. I have some friends like that. Maybe you're like that, but you're like, I was so anti, I was the most extreme atheist you'd ever meet. And now here I am telling you about Jesus. What I, I love when you meet stories like this. And Paul is basically saying this, Paul says, redeem the time. Hear me out. 
There is so much of my life I wasted on persecuting God and the people of God. And now, Lord, no, 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 I'm going to make the most of this time. I'm going to redeem the time. This word redeem, it, it includes this idea of buying back. Like imagine this. Imagine you sold something incredibly valuable. I don't know. Imagine you have like a family heirloom and you sold it for like pennies on the dollar. Like, ah, oh, I just really need the money. I'm going to take this like priceless thing and sell it for like 50 cents. This idea of redeem means, okay, buy it back. Yes, you wasted it. Yes, you screwed up, but buy it back. Like take it back redeem the time. Why? The days are evil. He's saying, make the most of this. Fight for what matters in a world that does not care about what matters. Fight for eternal things in a world that only lives for temporary present things. Like fight for things that redeem, that fight for it. This idea of time to me also is so profound because I want to point this out, this idea of time. In Greek, just hear me out. In Greek, there are two words for time. There's chronos or chronos and kairos or kairos, however you want to say it. I'll just say chronos and kairos. Um, but there's an idea of time. Think about this word chronos or chronos. It's this idea of just chronological time, minute by minute. So think about this idea of like time, like, okay, the second by second, minute by minute. The Bible uses, or the Bible and Greek philosophy uses that word for time in that way. But then there's a different word for time. This idea of kairos. So I'll put up the definitions. You can see this. Where chronos is quantitative, kairos is qualitative. Chronos is about minutes. Kairos is about moments. So here's what it's saying. Redeem the kairos. It's not so much about the minute, okay? But there are certain moments in which God is moving or working, and you better be in tune, and you better be aware. Okay, there's so many verses on this. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 6.2, it says, now is the day of salvation. It's actually using that same word of kairos, of saying, like, in this moment, in this moment, God wants to do something you did not expect to do. So here's, like, honestly, I was reading this and praying through this. There's so much more than just a message of, like, okay, use, make the best use of your time, guys. I actually do believe there are certain moments in your life, look back at your life, where you actually feel like the God of the universe is trying to get your attention. That's Kairos. Where the God of the universe says, I love you. I made you. Stop running from me. Stop doing what you think you know is best. You always do the same thing on repeat and it never satisfies you. It actually makes you more and more miserable, more and more selfish. You're just self-indulging, doing what you want, and you know that's not the way to live. And there are these certain kairos moments where God is trying to meet with you and we're told to redeem that moment. Like, don't let that moment pass. You are not, and I'm not guaranteed another moment where you might have that exchange with the God of the universe going, I love you, I care for you. Do not walk away from this moment. Surrender everything you have to me in this kairos moment. Are you following me? It's not, it's not so much this chronological minute by minute. It's not just redeeming that time. It's saying there's certain moments of life where God's like trying to grab hold of your heart and it will change the trajectory of your life. It'll change everything about you. That's kairos. And there are these moments where God's like, I want to get your attention. Come to me, follow me. You know you were made for more. Stop settling. Stop wasting your life. Redeem the time. Redeem the kairos. Redeem this moment where the God of the universe is meeting with you. Make the most of it. Are you guys tracking with me? This is so beautiful and so profound that the Bible points out this idea. Like there are special moments in life where you know God is speaking to you. And you know you cannot pass up on that. It's, it's used in so many different ways, but we know the difference too between like, you just are counting the minutes and looking at the clock, like, will this day ever be over? And you're counting the minutes. And then there are moments where you're with friends and you're laughing and you're like, how has it been six hours? What the heck happened? That's Kairos. It's almost just like this moment that you're in where time doesn't matter. We're not thinking, Josiah, when are you going to be done so I can get out of here? Like, that's Chrono. Don't think like that. <laughs> it, it's, it's this Kairos moment. Why are some of you laughing? You guys all think that? Jeez. Oh my gosh. 
it's so scary. <laughs> That's okay. I understand. But there are these certain moments where you're like, oh, Lord, you're speaking. Lord, you're doing something, and I need to respond to you. I need to redeem this moment. I cannot pass up on this moment because I'm not necessarily guaranteed another Kairos moment with you. It's like, take back that moment. Redeem that moment. Buy it back. Take it back. The enemy has stolen so many years from your life and my life, so many moments, right? So many moments of my life that could have been beautiful, redemptive, helpful. He has stolen many of those moments away from me. He's stolen many of those moments from you. And I love this. God's like, well, I can restore those moments. Maybe you know this verse, but I love this promise in Joel chapter 2, uh, verse 25. It says in the book of Joel, he says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I love this because it's like, you know what? There's going to be plague after plague, issue after issue, pestilence after pestilence. Something's going to be falling apart, and God's like, do you not get it? I'm the God who can restore those things. I'm the God who can say, maybe you did waste your life. Maybe you did waste many years of your life. Maybe you did miss, miss many moments and waste many moments where God was trying to speak to you, but you don't have to do that anymore. I love that. We're told in the Bible to not live in yesterday and not to worry about tomorrow. What does that leave us with? Today. I love that. He's like, don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus said. Paul says, the things I've done, I forget those things. So I'm not worried about yesterday or worried about tomorrow. I have today. I have this Kairos moment. I have this moment where God speak and do what it is you want to do. Redeem the Kairos. Redeem this moment that God of the universe is trying to speak to you. Take hold of it. Yes? Amen? This is so profound. I want to read this verse to you out of Romans 13. It is life-changing, Romans 13, 11. This is the verse that actually changed Augustine's life, literally changed his life. Romans 13, 11. Listen to this. He says, Romans 13, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Come on. This summarizes what it means to be a, a Christian. He goes, wake up. Wake up. What a good word. Wake up. The, the, I think Satan loves more than anything, not a church that's, you know, just busy, but a church that's sleeping. Just sleeping. And, and Paul's like, wake up. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Jesus is coming back. Make the most of this time. The, he goes, it draws nigh. It draws near. Wake up. And he says, don't give any room for the flesh. You know this. You give your flesh an inch, it will take a mile. You know this in sports. We used to have that saying when we played sports. It's like, if this just guy just gives me an inch, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it. You, you give the enemy an inch, he'll take a mile. And he says, no, no, I'm not. I cannot do that. I cannot make any provision for the flesh. I'm not making any room on it. Put on the Lord Jesus. In, in a world that is trying to say, identify as X or identify in this way. You are primarily this. No, no, identify as putting on the Lord Jesus. No, no, it's not Josiah Graves. No, it's Jesus Christ in me. Jesus Christ on me. Put on the Lord Jesus. He's that cloak, that garment of salvation. Like when you see me, yes, I'm Josiah Graves, the filthy sinner, but I have Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory. Put on the Lord Jesus. Make no room for the flesh. Listen, the power of time, redeem it. There are these moments where God is like, I'm speaking, I'm moving. Wake up. Our salvation is near. Wake up. Make the most of this time. Put on Jesus. Yes? And here's the last point. Number four is this. Um, the passing of time. The passing of time. There's so many verses. Here's just one. Job 8 verse 9. He says, for we were born yesterday and know nothing. I love that. So true. We were born yesterday and know nothing. Were you born yesterday? Like, yeah, he said, yeah. Uh, and we know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow. That's it. The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's like a shadow. It's just so quick. 
So what do we do? We redeem this time. We fight to say, I'm not going to let another Kairos, not yes, minute by minute, but not let these moments where God wants to move and work, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem that. I'm not going to let it go by. There's just a, a little poem I want to end with from a guy named C.T. Studd, and I, I love this. Here's what he wrote. He says, only one life. Yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have this brief moment. Right now there's breath in your lungs. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. Like you have today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow you have today. Redeem it. Say, Jesus, you gave me this time. I'm giving it back to you. How do I actually live into and live for what you have made me for? How do we know that, guys, know that there is a God who is outside of time, but in Jesus, which is so cool, he entered time. God is outside of all of it, but he goes, let me enter into it. Let me enter into time. Let me become a man. Let me walk around you, love you, serve you, be abused and beaten and crucified by you. And that's okay because I'm a God who came to restore and give life and life more abundantly. And we have a God who says, let me enter your time so that we can enter into eternity with him. We have a God who says, I'm going to enter into you, your moments, so you can enter into a heavenly moment. So you can enter into this life with him. I cannot stress enough this idea of live for more than what you and I see. Live for eternity. Redeem the time. Invest in heavenly things. Time is fleeting, man. It is so weird. It's so, uh, in 10 years, we can look back and be like, Josiah, you aged so much since that teaching on time. I know, time is weird. And let's say this, so make the most of it. Don't let it fly by. If God is moving and speaking in that Kairos moment, I'd say, take advantage of it and say, here I am, Lord. Can we just do this? Can we just close out in prayer and um, I'm not going to have the worship team come back up. I just want to pray over you guys. Why don't you guys just stand up really quick? I just want to pray over you, pray over this time. And I'll share a couple quick things before we go. Um, Father God, I just want to say thank you so much. It is so easy for me, Lord, to just miss out on what's in front of me, miss out on what you're doing. I have my time and my things I want to do. But Lord, um, your, your use of time is much better. Lord, I ask that we would just learn from the people who've gone before us. Less about what we do and just more about enjoying you, God. And I want to just thank you for this group of people here, Jesus. I ask that if you in any way have just spoken to their heart, that they would not miss out or pass up on this moment anymore. They would not waste just their, their life or a moment as Paul said, when, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him in glory. I ask that, Jesus, today, you would be our life, that you'd be our life, that we'd live for you, that the cares of this world would grow strangely dim, that the, the things we, we value so much, the social media, the things that we think are important, that, Jesus, you just remove those things. God, help us be in the moment more present with our kids, our families, our friends, and most importantly, just with you, Jesus. Help us not wake up in 20 years and say, what happened? Help us look back and say, Lord, thank you that you, you made me aware of time, that you taught me to number my days. Thank you, God, that you gave me a heart of wisdom to look at my days more profoundly. I just ask Jesus that you would do this in our body, that you do this in the church, that we would just be wise and number our days and just live for you. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.